If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. We're going to continue in our series through 1 Peter, how to live when you're just passing through. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 uh, is where we're going to pick up in just a moment. We're in this series and what we said, we've asked this question, who does God want his followers to be in a secular and divided culture? Who does God want his followers to be in a secular and divided culture? This is the culture we live in. I'm not giving you any new news. This is not new to you. You understand the culture we are immersed in. It's secular. It's not necessarily uh, following God, worshiping the Lord, and it's divided. So who does God want us to be in the midst of that? Oftentimes, the church retreats to one of three maybe positions or maybe some amalgamation of the three. Hopeless compromise, just give up, just, you know, go along to get along with everyone around us. Fearful isolation, we're going to pull back, we're going to, you know, batten down the hatches and wait it out and pop our heads up once in a while to see if it's safe to come out. Or restless revolt, we're going to fight, we're going to, you know, we're going we're to take up arms maybe, we're going to do all kinds of things, we're going to revolt against this culture. And what we said is one that we believe the Bible teaches a, a fourth way, which is faithful engagement. Faithful engagement. And what faithful engagement looks like, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, uh, the, gives these four directives, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God honor the emperor. Those aren't my words. Uh, those are the words of the Bible. Those are the words of First Peter. I think after our first message, someone went up to Pastor Brian and said, I love the way you put, you know, those points. And he's like, those are in the Bible. And, and he said, no, but I love the way you worded them. And we didn't change the words. Those are the exact words that are First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And this morning, we're going to talk about honor, uh, uh, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood is our topic this morning. And let me just say this uh, as we go into this this morning, this message, because I came out of first service and I thought, man, I don't know. That was kind of a downer of a message. Uh, that's just how I felt. Because we are going to talk about, look, love the brotherhood. You know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the potential for division. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that, you know, has been going on that's been dividing us. It's kind of heavy stuff. It's, and I came out of last service and I thought, man, that felt like, like just too heavy. There was no joy. And I thought, so I want to start out this message how I usually end a message, which is, you know, let's just look at the vision of what could it be if this was like this. The reason this is so important it's because the body of Christ, when it's working right, when it's working the way God designed it, when it's, when it's working the way Christ envisioned it, is a place and a people and a relationship like nothing else that exists on earth. It's the place where people from so many different backgrounds and so many different experiences can come in and feel loved and, and be in relationship with people you never met before, who come from different places in the world, who come from different life experiences and can be heard and listened to and loved and understood and be a part of a family of God. It's the place where the orphan comes in and finds a family uh, you know, where, where, the, where the stranger comes in and finds a home. This is the way the body of Christ is supposed to be. And when it's working right, there's nothing like it on earth. 
It's what our world is looking for. Our world is trying to create unity. Our world is trying to force unity and trying to force people into relationship. But if we, as the body of Christ, will do what Jesus said and will be who Jesus called us to be, we don't have to force it. It will, be, it will flow out of us. And so this is why we have this conversation. This is why we fight for this. Because when it's working right, it is a representation of who Christ is. It was a representation, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, of who God, who Jesus, who the Trinity is, how they relate to one another. It is a testimony to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit when we are loving each other well. All right? So that's your joy. Okay, now, <laughs> just keep that in mind as we go along. Let me just start with, uh, let me start with, I started talking about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving, many of us Thursday are getting together with family. Last year, remember last year, it was different, right? Last year, we were like, can we get together with people? Should we get together with people? We're having all these conversations. We're going to Zoom with people. We're going to, you know, find ways to get together. Uh, you know, what does the kids' school say? For those of you who are parents, uh, what is the government saying? We were in all this place. Uh, some of us were saying, you know, are they going to come? And then some of you were saying, I can't believe they're coming. You know, should they come? I don't know. Some of you were relieved. You were like, you know, I'd love to get together, but COVID, you know, COVID. You like, you were wait, you've been waiting all your life for this. But that's not... But this year, you're probably getting together with some family. And some of that family you love. And some of that family is some of that family. <laughs> They're still family, right? I mean, so you get together with them and, and, and you get together with them because they're family. And you would not get together with them if they were not family. They would not be in your home on Thursday if they were not family. Some of the people that'll be there, maybe you'll be with on Thursday. Because you don't agree with them, you may not get along with them, you may not share values, you may not share life goals, you may be on complete different sides of different spectrums, but you're going to get together and you're going to eat together because you're family. This is what you do. You don't get to choose your family, which is so different than every other relationship we have nowadays, isn't it? I mean, our relationships that now we get to filter and block and unfriend, and ghost, and you don't have to interact with anyone you don't want to interact with. But you don't get to choose your family. You don't get to choose who's there in your family. Now, you might not invite someone that's part of your family. And by doing that, you're essentially saying, you're not a part of the family. I don't consider you family. Maybe someone's done that to you be hurtful. But it's essentially, I feel like, in the last 18 months, two years, often what's happened in the church, that we've almost, at, point, at times, uninvited people, and in a sense said, you're not a part of the family. We felt this tension. We've divided over things that we shouldn't be dividing over. In two, July 2020, LifeWay Publishers did a survey of Protestant pastors, and they asked, what's the top pressure point? What's the biggest frustration? What's your biggest challenge right now? And the answer was an overwhelming unity in the church. 
the challenge of preserving unity in the church. You see, going through COVID was hard, but coming out of COVID was harder. Going through COVID, we had to figure out how are we going to do ministry? How are we going to relate to people from six feet of distance? How are we going to make disciples through a screen for a little while? How are we going to do this? But we figured it out. Then we came out and we started meeting together again. And we kind of smiled and we kind of like, phew, we made it sort of, kind of, we're coming out of it. But then we looked around and we said, hey, where's so-and-so? Have anyone seen? Has anyone talked to? Is that... And all of a sudden we're asking, well, maybe this one moved and that one moved and we're checking on people and, we're, and some people you're able to contact and some you're not. And you're trying to figure out and then you realize, well, why aren't they here? You know, did we say something? Did we not say something? Well, what happened? Are they, are they, did they figure out that they liked it better on the couch? Did we go too hard at the remote church thing? Are they just not going to church anywhere? Are they going to church somewhere else? You know, we looked around and we said, where? And then throughout this whole time and coming out, even decisions we would make, well, we'll have chairs six feet apart. We'll have masks, no masks. We'll have this, we'll have that. And every decision you make, you thought, how is this going to affect the unity of the church? We realized early on that anything we did was going to disappoint everybody at some point. We just, we just came to that reality. that we are, we are going to disappoint you. Just wait. You may like this decision. You might not like the next one. But this is the waters we've all kind of been navigating. This idea, and it would constantly come up. We all feel this tension. You feel this tension. You felt this tension on social media. We've all heard someone say, you can't be a Christian and fill in the blank. Vote this way. Wear a mask, not wear a mask. Get the vaccine, not get the vaccine. You fill in the blank. You've all, we've all heard it. Or if you're a Christian, you will say this. Or if you're a Christian, you will not say this. And we felt the tension. We felt this in ourselves. It's not a new thing. Look, divisions have been going on in churches for years. This isn't new. I remember when Wendy and I got married... Well, I hope, like, that's good, right? <laughs> so, I remember, Wendy. Oh, my God. It's been a while. Uh, but we were getting married, and we were, we were getting ready to have the wedding. And Wendy, we were getting married in Albuquerque in the church where Wendy grew up. And she had so many good memories in this church. And the senior pastor at the time had been her youth pastor for uh, part of her life. And the kids pastor at the church had walked with her family through very difficult times when her dad passed away and had loved her family and walked with them through that. And so it was very meaningful to now exchange our wedding vows uh, with the kids pastor that walked with her. And, and in this building and in this church where so many memories had taken place, but a few, maybe months, maybe weeks before, it was a very short time before the wedding, these two pastors had a falling out. And the kid's pastor ended up leaving the church to go to another church. And so we were basically told, you can have this pastor in this building, or you can have that pastor in that building, but you can't have that pastor in this building doing your wedding. And something feels wrong about that, right? That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to be. But we feel these tensions. It's not new. It happens in the 21st century. It happened in the first century. 
And Peter is writing to these first century Christian believers in chapter 4, verse 8, when he says these words. Above all, stop right there. Because what would you put next? If you were writing to someone and you were saying the most important thing for you as a Christian, above all, Peter writes, above all the other things, above all the other things I would say, keep loving one another earnestly. That's what he says, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. What have you put above that? What have you been tempted to put above that command? Because Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And if he has to say it, it's because he has to say it. And I think he'd say it today, too. He goes on, since love covers a multitude of sins... Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Just leave that one up there for a second. <laughs> Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. Lord, as I endeavor to speak your oracles, your word, as this word even says, where would you help us to hear what we need to hear? Lord, allow us to see what we need to see in our own hearts, in our own lives. Lord, it's so easy to hear a command like love one another and apply it to where someone has not loved us. Lord, for the next few moments, would you just show us our own hearts? Where do we need to be more loving to one another, God? In Jesus' name, amen. Above all, love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. I used to think, I, thought, I think I thought at one point that meant um, that it talks about, that's talking about God's forgiveness. It really isn't. When it says love covers a multitude of sins, uh, commentator Karen Jobes captures the meaning of it by this. She says, by Peter's definition, love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, but means treating others in the Christian community in such a way as to promote unity and to avoid, uh, and to avoid or be overcome by behaviors that destroy relationships. Peter's definition, it doesn't mean, it should be warm, not warm, fuzzy feeling, but warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, it doesn't mean, it's not talking about covers multitude of sins. It's not talking about necessarily God's forgiveness of those sins. What it's talking about is that when you are a part of the body of Christ, when you are in a place that's also a very hostile world that you're living in, a very secular world, a very divided world, someone's going to do you wrong. Someone's going to sin against you. Someone is going to hurt you. And how will you keep from dividing as the body of Christ? 
How will you stay together as the family? Peter's answer is your love for one another will get you past your sins against one another. That your love for one another will keep you together as a family. That your love, just as a family would, right? Just as, hey, yeah, we're still inviting Uncle Hank. I don't have an Uncle Hank. Maybe you do. Because we're family. What's going to keep you together? Your love for one another will cover a multitude of sins. In fact, if you read through 1 Peter, and I encourage you to do it if you haven't, you'll find that many times in 1 Peter, he's talking about, and he'll use Jesus' illustration of unjust suffering. And no one suffered more unjustly than Jesus. But his love kept him on mission. And your love for one another will do that as well. To love each other earnestly. To show hospitality without grumbling. We would tell our kids often, we'd say to our kids, hey, you got to do it with the right attitude. If you don't do it with the right attitude, it doesn't count and you have to do it again. I thought I made that up. Apparently God said it. (laughs) Hospitality without grumbling. You had to have that kind of welcoming spirit to one another because you're family in the body of Christ. Not because you agree on everything, not because you like everyone everyone's, and everyone's like you, but because we're family and we're in the body of Christ and we serve and follow Jesus. And then he says, you're supposed to love one another, covers a multitude of sins. You're supposed to show hospitality without grumbling. Then you're supposed to serve. Serve. In fact, he says it this way in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The one who serves by strength that God supplies. In other words, the strength you have, the resources you have, the money you have, the time you have, the energy you have, comes from God, and he asks you to use it to serve other people around you. That you are to steward your time and resources for the purposes of God and for the lives of the people around you. And I am too. And what I'm afraid, what I'm fearful of is that during COVID, our serving muscles atrophied a little. That we kind of got used to watching church and sitting on our couch and we failed to Find places. It got hard, honestly. It was hard to find places to serve. I mean, some of you are real creative people, and I saw you online, and you were, you were finding creative ways to serve. I, I saw that happen. I saw you, Fallons. I saw you out there serving meals on wheels with masks on and, and taking the food out. You find creative ways to serve. But a lot of us just, we were like, well, we're stuck here. It's just us four. No more. What are we going to do? Our muscles atrophied, and yet God says that one of the ways you love one another is you serve one another. You love one another. So we do this. But why? Why is it so important that we love one another? Because the scriptures are very clear on this point. Why is it so important that we love one another? Because in a divided world, unity among Christians is the way people discover that Jesus is the answer. 
I mean, look at the world. What are they looking for? They're looking for people who will love each other. They want people to love each other. Look at all the advertising that, that shows people coming together, right? They're looking for people who can love each other beyond differences. And, when they, and, and it shows and it teaches when we do that proper theology. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. We believe in Jesus through the word of the disciples, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Why? So that, remember the importance of the so that? So that the world may believe you have sent me. The way we love one another is a theological statement about who Jesus is and his relationship to God the Father. Jesus says that when they love each other, when they're one, it says something about who Jesus is. It says something about Jesus belonging to the Father. But not only that, when you and I love each other, it says something about who the church is. John chapter 13, right after washing the disciples' feet, including Judas's feet. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we love each other is a theological statement about the church. In fact, what Jesus is saying is the world is given permission to judge who we belong to based on how we treat each other. The world's given permission to judge who it is that we belong to and if we actually belong to God. What we often don't realize is in our efforts to be right, it's the very fighting and arguing itself that thwarts the mission that God has called us to. The issue isn't the issue. It's the fact that we choose to fight and air it out in front of a world that's watching to see if we will love each other that becomes the issue. Wendy's a tea drinker. I'm coffee, but she drinks tea. In the morning we get up and she makes her tea and I make my coffee. And now we have an electric tea kettle, which is great. But we used to, it used to be that we had one of those ones you put on the stove. You know what I'm talking about? You, you fill the tea kettle with water and, and then it whistles when it's ready, right? You know one of those? So Wendy would get up in the morning and she'd fill the tea kettle with water. And then she'd turn the burner on and she'd wait for it to boil. And it would take a while. And so one morning, I thought I'd be helpful. And so I said, you know, if you put less water in the tea kettle, like it'll boil faster. You won't have to wait so long for it to boil. And then while I was on a roll, I thought, I, I continued, I said, and if you put it on, you know, one of the burners that has a, a, a bigger gas, you know, burner, it'll cover more surface of the teapot, and then it'll cause it to heat up faster, and it'll boil even faster. I was feeling pretty good about myself. 
you don't know, my wife is a scientist. She understands the physics of boiling water. <laughs> but I thought I ought to let her know about this. Pretty much brought our marriage to a boiling point is all it did. I think she turned to me at one point and actually said, are you actually telling me how to boil water? <laughs> to which I said, yeah, I think I am. I'm telling you. And I walked away later in that day and I thought, did I really like bring stress and strife and discord into our marriage about how to boil water? Like, is that, how is that worth it? And how many times is God the Father up in heaven thinking, are you really dividing my church over this? Are you really going to take the bride of Christ that my son gave his life for and divide her over this? Are you really going to cause this discord? Are you really going to affect your witness and my witness before the world over this? Because that's what's on the line. And we are so concerned with being right and not nearly as concerned about being loving to one another as the scriptures say. We're winning an argument and destroying the marriage we're winning an argument and destroying the family of God, the church, our witness, our mission. They're Pyrrhic victories. They're winning battles but losing the war, taking, losing out on the mission that God has called us to. Be careful. Are there times where we are called to break fellowship? Maybe you're asking that. Are there times in, in the gospel where it would say, well, aren't there times where we should break? Aren't there times where we don't act loving? Aren't there times where we don't love one another? Two in scripture that I can find that I think fit are, are those where scripture talks about that. One, where there's a false gospel involved. And two, where it's unrepentant sin. Paul talks about both of them. In Galatians chapter 6, He talks about, uh, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. And he says, but even if an angel from heaven or I should preach the gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, yeah, don't fellowship with that person. If someone's preaching you a gospel of another way to heaven, another way to Jesus, another way to God, if someone's distorting the gospel, don't, yeah. It's not... Don't fellowship with that person. Yeah, don't follow that person. Don't pay attention to that person. Absolutely. Now be careful that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're disfellowshipping over there. Not the gospel of Rick Piccarello or the gospel of fill in your name. Be careful that the things you're choosing to divide are, are not things you have added to the gospel. But the gospel, a false gospel is a reason. Second is unrepentant sin. 
And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul talks about uh, the unrepentant brother. So they had this, this guy in the Corinthian church, and Paul's writing a letter to him, and he, he said he's, he's involved in the sexual immorality, and you're not pointing, like you're not disappointing him, instead you're celebrating it. And he's celebrating it before everyone. And Paul says, no, put that brother outside the church. Disfellowship yourself for a time so that he may understand that this is not appropriate, so that he might be, come to a place of repentance, that he might come to a place of reconciliation. And so he says, an unrepentant sin, or as the Old Testament, if you're reading to the Old Testament, we call it a high-handed sin. But a high-handed sin is an unrepentant, in-your-face God, I am going to live this way and still call myself a Christian. And the Bible would say, no, in that case, you have room to disfellowship there. Now, this isn't someone who says, look, I sinned, forgive me. That's not that. This is an unrepentant sin. Those are the two places there where the Bible would say it. But other than that, God calls us to love one another. To love one another. And it's critical because this is the way the world will know who God is, who Jesus is, and who we belong to. What are we dividing over? Who wins? You know who wins when we divide over issues like this? Not Jesus, not his church. It's not us. It's the one the Bible says came to steal, kill, and destroy. And how better to destroy the work of God and the church of Jesus Christ than to get that church to divide against each other. To get that church to not love one another. Now, as we talked about last week, I'm not talking about niceness. I'm not talking about just warm fuzzies like we never talk about anything important. I'm talking about kindness. I'm talking about listening, being real with each other, and continuing to love each other. Hearing each other out and continuing to love each other. Not assuming I know what someone else thinks or who someone else is because they use a certain phrase or word and all of a sudden I put them in this little box and they can't get out of it. Really loving each other. Really caring for each other. Showing hospitality to one another. If we're doing church right, there shouldn't be anyone in this church who doesn't have a place to go on Thursday. That wants a place to go on Thursday. Some of you are like, I'm staying home. I'm good. But there shouldn't be anyone who wants a place to go that doesn't have a place to go to be with others in the body of Christ. Showing hospitality. Serving each other. And so with that, I want to move to a time of communion. And as we consider the body of Christ, I'll invite the team up to lead worship and anyone who's going to help me to serve, if you'd come forward. As they're coming forward, would you just take a moment to pray with me and search our hearts? Lord, this is a word that, word is a heavy word. It's a convicting word. But it's a word that's hard for us sometimes to apply to our own hearts and our own lives. Because this is one of those cases that it's so easy to see the speck in someone else's eye and to miss the log in our own eye. 
It's so easy to think about the places somewhere else has not been loving to us, has not cared about us, has not thought about us, and often hard to just search and know our own hearts. So Lord, I pray as we move to this time of communion that you would search our hearts, that you would show us any places in our hearts where we have not been the one who has loved, where we need to love better in the body of Christ. Not simply in our words and our actions, but Lord, in our hearts, in that place in our heart where we have allowed to harbor bitterness, where we have allowed it to harbor anger towards another believer in Christ. Lord, would you show us that place and show us the way to love? We don't always understand how to get to that place. We have so much hurt. Lord, show us the way to love. Help us to follow the path of our master and our Lord in this. Lead us even as we enter this time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen.